We will be reading from 1 Samuel 18, 1 to 16. There are Bibles at the back or you can go on your phone. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David and loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry, as this refrain displeased him greatly. They had credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre, as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. Saul was afraid of David, because the Lord was with David, but had departed from Saul. So he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men. And David led the troops in their campaigns. In everything he did, he had great success, because the Lord was with him. When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the the pleasure we have in reading your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that's inspired its writing and preserved it to this day so that we might hear from you. We pray, Lord God, that as you speak to us tonight, that we would understand how great and awesome you are and that we would have a healthy fear of you in that we would respect and honour you, knowing that you have all power. I pray, Heavenly Father, that we would um, look at Saul's example tonight and that we would be, again, warned not to put our store in things in this world and our own ambitions, but that we would look to partner with you in your work in this world. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, tonight we're looking at Saul and David. It's a very intimate minuet of a relationship gone south. Basically, King Saul and the future King David are going to be... uh, going through some quite difficult period of time. But before we look into this, I want to present to you tonight that the big idea in this passage is continuing to be the same thing that we've seen in previous passages. This first king that Israel had was a king that they asked for, a king that was like all the kings of other nations. Now, when they asked for a king like all the other nations, we remember in Deuteronomy 17 that we were told that God warned them not to do that because a king, like all the other nations, would only want to build his own power, his own kingdom, and not that of God's. The idea of a king for the people of Israel is that the king should actually be a king under the king. 
Uh, now, I don't know if you're a monarchist or a republican. Uh, this is a story of monarchy. Uh, obviously, this is a long time ago, but we do understand, don't we, the concept of monarchy in our day and age, even if you don't agree with it, and I'm not at all uh, saying that we all should agree with monarchy, although I happen to be a little bit partial to it myself, mainly because of the witness of one particular monarch that I came to admire and then over the years came to really, I know this sounds strange, but I really, really loved Queen Elizabeth. There was something about the dignity of the woman that going through all the trials and tribulations of life, she was just a constant in our lives. And I don't know her personally, I don't know what she was like. I know she had dogs. I know that she was quite kind to people. I knew she carried swords around and tapped people on shoulders with them. I know she went to lots of events. She you know, opened train stations and hospitals and things like that. She visited Australia a few times. I never saw her. But the thing that struck me about Queen Elizabeth were her speeches once a year at Christmas time. Now, I've got to admit, as a young man, I didn't listen to those speeches. I was kind of bored of the whole monarchy thing, was, thought it was a long way away, didn't think it was the slightest bit interesting. But the older I got, the more I sort of started, don't know where it happened, but I started listening to her Christmas speeches. Now, I have been told that when she was a younger woman, she did become a Christian under the influence of... La uh, I almost said Larry Norman there, that was a Freudian slip... Uh, imagine that, Queen Elizabeth and Larry Norman rocking on, that'd be cool. Okay, I'll think about that later. Well, they're both in heaven, so maybe, you never know, they might have a jam every now and again. Um, that's, yeah, I just went down a tangent, I'm coming back now. <laughs> she became a Christian under the influence of Billy Graham. Now, Billy Graham came to England and the establishment of the English church looked down on Billy Graham as though he was a little bit of a lowbrow sort of Christian expression, wasn't really up to talking with the Queen of England. So she apparently privately invited Billy Graham to her house. Now, how many people have seen the, the TV show The Crown? Have you seen the episode where the Queen goes to, or Billy Graham comes? Yeah, you saw that? Anyway, she, she truly, deeply gave her heart to the Lord Jesus. Now, why am I telling you this story? Well, because to me, the, the contrast of Queen Elizabeth and Saul is tr quite dramatic. Because you see, Saul is supposed to be God's king over God's people. Queen Elizabeth is just a queen over a little island and a few other places around the world now. In comparison, she's a lot lower down on the hierarchy of monarchs when you think about her being compared to King Saul, who was... God's king. But what set her apart was that Queen Elizabeth, in her speeches at Christmas, time and time again, used to talk about, year after year, the fact that she was the queen, but she didn't have ultimate authority. She was actually a queen who followed a king. In fact, she actually used that phrase in her speeches. I am a queen who has a king, which is a very unusual statement, because the idea of a monarch is they're the supreme leader, they're the one who's in charge. See, what Queen Elizabeth realised is King Jesus is the king of the universe. And when she gave her heart to him, she probably had ups and downs in her faith. I don't know what kind of Christian she was. But what a beautiful, dignified presence she had in the ups and downs of life. And I remember the week that she died, still working right up until the very end to fulfil the promise she made to the British people, which was, I will serve you for the best of my ability for the rest of my life. And that's what she literally did. Well, that is in complete contrast, and that's why I told that story tonight, to the story of Saul. And we pick the story of Saul up at 1 Samuel chapter 18, and we see what kind of king he is. 
He's a king, basically, who doesn't fear God. He's a king who is trying to build his own empire. Now, we know from previous um, passages that we've read and the sermons we've had, uh, Saul has disobeyed God. He's trying to run Israel according to what he thinks. And God has taken his spirit from him and given his spirit to David, who is going to be the king who is going to replace Saul. But there's this very unusual, now not yet, tension in the story tonight because we have two kings in Israel at the same time. Two ordained kings. Samuel has ordained David to be king of Israel while Saul is still on the throne. Now, as a young boy, I I found that a bit too messy. I don't know what kind of personality I have. I don't know what kind of personality you have. It's just not very neat. And even in Sunday school, I used to have the Sunday school teachers tell us this King Saul and here's this David. And I used to be like, why did you have a king, two kings at the same time? It's really interesting because in the crossover, in the messiness of this now not yet tension, you're actually given a really clear example of what is wrong with Saul and what is right with David. And the summary of this passage in chapter 18 is the one big idea is that Saul did not fear God and David did fear God. And because Saul didn't fear God, he feared everything else. Because he didn't fear God, Saul feared everything else. But because David feared God, he didn't fear anything else. That's the contrast we're going to see in this passage tonight. And before we look a bit more deeply into this story, I want to ask you a question tonight because I think that as modern people, we are in a very crazy time of high technological development, crazy things happening all over the world, within our own society. There seems to be huge shifts all the time. And I want to ask you the question, what do you fear? Do you sometimes find yourself fearing everything else? Well, if the peace that passes all understanding, which is promised by Jesus, is elusive to you, listen up today, because there's a surprising answer to anxiety and fear that is rooted in this story that is helpful for us tonight. That if we fear God, we don't fear anything else. But if we don't fear God, we fear everything else. Let's have a look at some of the story in verse 1. After David uh, had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one, uh, one in spirit with David and he loved him as himself. From that day Saul kept David with him and he did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself and Jonathan took off his robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Now this event has just been described to us that's happened after David has slain Goliath. Remember David slays Goliath? Uh, We heard the story of David going down into the Valley of Elam and he he kills Goliath with a stone. It's an incredible story. Uh, Just just as an aside on that, um, that valley is still there in Israel, the very valley that that battle took place. And archaeologists five years ago actually discovered the Philistine city that's described in the story on the side of a valley. And they found it because the city is described being a city of two gates in the story. 
And that's very rare in Israel. Cities didn't tend to have two gates because if you have a, a walled city, you didn't want multiple entry points for enemies to be able to get into the city. You just wanted one point to defend. But this particular Philistine city had two gates and it's unique in that regard. So here's a city they've found on the side of a valley with two gates with Philistine pottery dating back to the time of David. And the archaeologists are like, we've found the location of the Battle of David and Goliath. As they walk across the valley and they go up to the other side of the valley, according to the Bible, there should be another city on top of that hill that should be an Israelite city. And lo and behold, they found another city on the other side of the valley. So they've got an approximate location for where Saul was sitting in his tent as he watched young David walk down into the valley to fight Goliath, who was standing in the middle of the valley. You can look it up on Google Maps and see the valley. Do you know the other astounding thing they found? When the archaeologists walked down from the Israelite position to go into the valley to where approximately the battle of David and Goliath would have taken place, do you know what they found at the bottom of the Israelite hill? A stream is still there. And that stream has flat rocks in it. And they picked up rocks that are sling-sized rocks still in that river to this day. See, these events are real and tactile and true. This is a real story to help us in a real way in our real lives today. These are not just myths and stories that we're listening to as we go through 1 Samuel. These things happened because it's not a myth and a story that we struggle with the same kinds of things that humans have always struggled with. Humans have always been fearful and this story is here to help us to understand that if we fear God, we won't fear anything. But if we fear, we don't fear God, we'll fear everything. David did not fear Goliath because he feared God. We had that established in the story of the battle of David and Goliath. So here in the story, David, who fears God, does not fear anything. Remember when he went into battle, why did David volunteer to go into battle when there was all those other men who were on that hill? They all feared Goliath because they didn't fear God and the reason they didn't fear God was because their leader Saul did not fear God. See, the problem of bad leadership is if your leader is a bad leader, the fish rots from the head is the old saying. So bad culture goes from the head down into the whole fish. Churches that have bad leadership have bad culture. Nations that have bad leadership have bad culture. And I think that's why, despite the fact I'm not saying Queen Elizabeth was perfect, she comforted me with her presence on the throne because she was the most prominent evangelical Christian woman leader in the whole world for a lifetime. And... Of course, Australia, England, all the other Commonwealth countries have our problems. But to have a Christian leader sitting on the throne who knows that it's not their throne is a massive bonus. And here we have Saul, who's the opposite. He doesn't fear God, and so he fears the Goliath. He is meant to go and be the champion. He is meant to go down and conquer this hero of the Philistines. And he relies on this little kid who stands by and goes, doesn't anybody else have any pride in this country? Doesn't anybody else have pride in our Yahweh, our God? This is embarrassing. 
we are saying that our God cannot defeat this hero that is before us. And so he goes down with no fear and kills Goliath. And just for good measure, as though it's a horrible uh, reality, he brings back the head of Goliath that he cut off into Jerusalem to show everyone that they don't need to fear anything if they fear God. Well, the story goes that David gets brought into the throne room and um, instantly he's a hit. Now, here's the thing. If you fear God and you don't fear anything else, don't think that opposition isn't going to come. Don't hear me saying tonight, if you fear God, you won't have problems. I'm not saying that. Because here in the story tonight, we're going to see that the king of Israel, Saul, is trying to kill David while he's playing a harp. So David's going to go through even worse as the story goes on beyond chapter 18, but he's not fearful of that difficulty. Now, here's the point that I wanted to make tonight. Depression and anxiety can be clinical, and sometimes it's really good if you get depressed or anxious that you go to a doctor. I have gone to doctors in the past for anxiety and depression. When I first left Guymer Anglican, I was so upset and sad that when I was going to Moore College, I'd get on the train at Guymer Station and I'd get off at Kirawee Station and vomit in the bin. That's how anxious I was. And I realised that wasn't good. Was that my lack of faith? Was I not fearing God enough? No, that was actually I was not well. <laughs> so please don't hear me say that if you're struggling with anxiety and depression tonight, you just need to fear God and it'll all go away. I'm not saying that. I went to a, a counsellor and the counsellor was fantastic. Can I please encourage you, never ever think that you're weak or there's something wrong with you if you need to go and see a doctor about anxiety and depression. If you break your leg, you can't fix it yourself. It's not going to get fixed itself. You need to go to the doctor, you get that fixed. Same thing with anxiety and depression. But what I'm saying is, as you, as you stand back and look at your life from the helicopter, so to speak, like look at the, the, the big picture of your life, if you know that God is all-powerful and he has saved you in eternity through his son, Jesus Christ, you can be confident that your future is brighter than your past. Even if you go through depression and anxiety, you will know that one day that will end. Mercy Adello that I was talking about at the beginning of the sermon had depression so bad that she attempted suicide five times in her life. And after I'd started getting to know Mercia, she used to ask me to come around for a cup of tea at her house. And she lived in this little one-bedroom unit, and I used to go into this unit, and we'd just have a cup of tea. She had all the bickies out. She had all the nice little doilies over the cups and all that kind of cool stuff. You know, even the sauces, the whole fine china thing. Imagine me and this little lady who was four foot nothing, sitting there sipping tea, talking about Jesus, having a pray. The reason I raised that story is there was a picture on the wall of a storm with this big crashing wave crashing against a rock. And when you look closely at the picture, there was a young girl holding on to the rock, and the waves were splashing around her and it was a beautiful painting, but it was actually kind of terrifying. Now, at the point that I first went round to Mercia's place, I didn't know she suffered from depression. But I said to her, Mercia, what's with the picture? It's quite dramatic. And she said, the reason I put that picture on the wall because that's a picture of me. That little girl is me. I'm a little girl who lives in a storm every day. But there's not just one person in that picture, there's two people in that picture. Because the Lord Jesus is in that picture too. And he is the rock. <laughs> Do you get an idea of that? See, when the storm is around you, you can either be facing the storm, 
fearing that you have nothing to hold on to and every second feeling like you might be swept away by the next wave or despite how you feel, you hold on to the Lord Jesus. Because after all, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, I will abide in him or her. So here in the midst of Saul's jealousy, David is successful, but he's in a troubled time. And in a way, mercy would say, even in the midst of my feeling sad, I've actually been able to beat those suicidal thoughts five times already because of Jesus. And it's a similar situation that's going on here. I'm not saying David is feeling great right now in this passage, but he's holding on to the Lord God, as he always had. Saul attempts to kill him in chapter 18, verse 10 and 11. He throws a spear at him twice, and it's premeditated murder. It's not an act of, oh, I'm just going to throw this, this spear at this kid. David's playing a, a, an instrument, a lyre, and he tries to kill him. He's trying to kill David because he's jealous of David. He's jealous of David because he's killed Goliath and now he's a rock star. We just read there in the passage that even Saul's own son, Jonathan, becomes best friends with David. Jonathan loves David so much that in the, as the story goes on, he says, even though I'm the firstborn of King Saul, you are my king. See, Jonathan's like Queen Elizabeth. He's like Mercia Dello. In the midst of all the chaos that surrounds Israel with their enemies, the Philistines around them everywhere, Jonathan knows that he trusts in God's anointed one and he loves him. We're going to find later in the story that Saul's daughter, second daughter, is in love with David. We hear that the the women of Israel come out when David comes into the city and they say, Saul has killed heaps of people, but David, he's killed heaps more. And what is Saul focused on? his career. Have you ever been in a situation where you feel jealous of somebody else? Have you seen someone else succeed and you don't succeed and you fear that you might be left behind? Well, Saul's like that. See, he doesn't fear the Lord and trust the Lord in what his actions are doing. He fears David and so he tries to kill him. Now, that's not a nice thing to have to happen to someone. I don't think I've ever had anyone throw anything at me in my life. I tried to think about it before the sermon. Has anyone thrown something at me? Not that I can remember. Maybe a rock, probably, somewhere in my deep past as a child, possibly. But imagine being in the court of Queen Elizabeth and she picks up a spear and tries to kill you. Now, there's a lot going on there when a monarch tries to kill you. There's a lot going on when the king tries to kill you because you think to yourself, I might dodge one or two spears, but what happens if the king gets someone else to arrest me and hold me down and doesn't let me dodge and and duck and weave? If that's not bad enough, in the story we read that God had sent an evil spirit to torment Saul and the evil spirit was tormenting Saul and it was pretty obvious to everyone that this evil spirit was in control of Saul It's a little bit like in the Lord of the Rings when you go to the Riders riders of Rohan and the king is in a a trance and he's under the control of the worm tongue. I don't know if you know the story, great story. Do yourself a favour if you haven't seen it, look it up. Well, worm tongue is like, I think, Tolkien's representation of what's happening to Saul. 
I wonder if Tolkien had that in his head when he created that and I wonder if Peter Jackson went back to 1 Samuel 18 to have a read of the story again to get a good grasp of this evil happening where a king gets overtaken by an evil spirit. You see, the problem for that is it's terrifyingly scary but it's also an inversion of what should be taking place. If Queen Elizabeth and David are monarchs under the great king, then this is the opposite of that. This king that is supposed to be the king of God is now the king under an evil spirit. So that, what that goes to show you is if you don't fear God and you think you can be in control of your own life, the danger is you'll be living for other things that you can't control. The New Testament unpacks this. Even if someone doesn't have an evil spirit, there's a reality that we have all been made to worship and if we don't worship the one true God, we will worship something else. That's what Paul starts his letter to the Romans saying, that people have traded the worship of the one true God for created things. See, that's what we do. We worship things. And so if we don't fear God, we'll fear other stuff. How many people at the moment are terrified of a rate rise next week? Rightly so. Mortgages could go off the cliff. This is really terrifying. But it's in perspective if you're Mercy Adelo. It's not in perspective if you're Saul. See, if the rate rise is coming and you're not fearing God, you're just seeing the waves. But if the rate rise is coming and you're holding onto the rock, you're not even looking at the waves. You're looking into the face of Jesus himself. And you're trusting that he's enough for you. Now, I mentioned that experience of mine at Gaim Ranglican. It was a difficult experience because I was actually asked if I could move on from the church that I'd been at for 40 years, where I'd been a youth minister for 20 years. It was a dreadful experience. And I, I, I resigned because I knew that the church was wanting to go into a new direction and they had, it was just a different strategy they wanted to put in place. It wasn't, I, you know, I wasn't taking that super personally. It was just the morning of what I was losing, right? But I walked out of a room after resigning and I walked out onto the driveway of my boss as I walked to my car and I stood by his letterbox and I just stood there and went, Phew, what happened there? I felt like I was in a storm. I felt like I'd just fallen off a surfboard and I was being held under. Like I said, I was actually feeling my mental health was kind of being affected by this situation. This was terrible. And I thought to myself, I don't think I've... I think I've lost my church that I've lived in for 40 years. I, th I think I might have lost Soul Revival that I've been a part of, my community that I've been a part of for 20 years. And I don't think I'll be ever going back to Guymere and preaching as a leader at Guymere. And I might not even be a minister anymore. This might be it for me. Now, I didn't hear this audible voice or anything. But the thought that came to me that I think God gave me was, yeah, but I, am I enough? And I asked myself, is Jesus enough? Or do I need Jesus and something else? Now, obviously, I hadn't lost my family. I've still got my family. And I've still got my friends. But when I stood on there, everything I loved, I felt like I'd lost. And I think that those things were very important to me. Probably the most important things to me in my life other than my family. And I was there without them. I felt like I'd lost everything. And God was saying to me, but am I enough? 
And I prayed on the, on the driveway. I said, yes, Jesus, you're enough. All I would need is you. And you know what? I turned around a couple of weeks later and 30 of my best friends were saying, so what are we doing next? <laughs> when Guy Anglican blessed us with 30 people to go and plant another church, 30 of my best friends said, what are we doing? And they came and asked if they could come. I asked the boss. He said they could come. And that's how we started Solis. See, I didn't have to worry, did I? But I do want to validate how I felt on the driveway. Now, where are you tonight? Are you on the driveway? Are you in the, in the, in the, you know, the king's throne room with this mad, psycho, demon-possessed, selfish person throwing big spears at you? Is that where you are? You might be. We all have those days. But don't worry, the driveway's coming. If you're in the room with all those spears coming at you, the driveway's coming. Get help, get support, ask other people around you for help, go see a doctor. But remember, in the midst of David's pain, God gave him Jonathan. Just as Jesus gave me Soul Revival back, which was just the most amazing blessing in my life, particularly when the Archbishop, Glenn Davies, when I said to him, what do you think we should call this new church? He said, I think you should call it Soul Revival Sutherland Shire. <laughs> That's what the Archbishop of Sydney said. What a blessing. Jonathan became David's best friend in the midst of that horrible situation. See, God's people flourish despite persecution. You know, when the, the people of the, the first Christian church were persecuted by, by, by the, 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 the leaders in Jerusalem and they drove them out of Jerusalem, God blessed that by spreading the Christian church all over the world. If that hadn't happened, those first Christians might not have gone all the way to Babylon and Turkey and all over the place. Do you know they found a cave in Turkey just recently, I think last year, and they found a cave that they think is the earliest church that they know of in Turkey and they trace that church back to the first dispersion of Christians that all left Jerusalem because of the persecution and they put a church in a cave because they had to hide because people were trying to kill them all the time but they found that cave and do you know what they've said it's the first Christian mosaics they've ever found and even though they've found other mosaics since that cave it's the most beautiful Christian mosaics that they've ever found in a hole in the ground in a cave are you in a hole in the ground in a cave maybe start mixing some concrete cut up some little pieces of tile make yourself a floor put a cross in the floor maybe a little fish some loaves fishes that's what's on that floor apparently loaves of bread and a cross and some fishes and they think they're interpreting that as when we don't have enough, Jesus will give us an abundance more than we can ever imagine. And in this story here, we see that with David. In the midst of the fearfulness of the father, God gives him the son, David, as his best friend. It's one of the most beautiful friendships in the history of the world. Celebrated for time immemorial. Jonathan and David are best mates. See, David has a reverence for God. We see that in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 12. Have a look at that verse with me. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him. But David had departed from Saul. 
So he went, so he sent David away from him and gave him the command of 10,000 and David led the troops on their campaigns. In everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. So this is what I want to finish on. The reason that if you fear God, you don't have to fear anything is because the Lord is with you all the time, every day, every night. When I was a little boy, I remember being told that we're going to pray with you tonight so that as we leave you here in your bed and go to our bed, we're praying that Jesus will be with you while we can't be with you. What a precious thing to tell a child. I never feared the night because I always knew Jesus was there. I didn't need a nightlight. I didn't need to worry about what was in the cupboard or under the bed because if any of those things were around, I knew Jesus was around and he'd look after me. Are you in bed at night by yourself at the moment? Do you need to be reminded that the Lord is with you? Because if you do, that's what this passage is encouraging you to do. In the end, because Saul wasn't afraid of God, he was afraid of David. But David wasn't afraid of Saul. And as the story finishes for tonight's sermon, he, David has success. Look at verse 27. David took his men with him and went out and killed 2,000 Philistines and brought back their foreskins. I was contemplating whether to read that or not, but I did. They counted out the full number to the king, because it's quite descriptive, that David might become the king's son-in-law. And then the story goes on. When Saul realised that the Lord was with David and that his daughter Michal loved David, Saul became still more afraid of him and he remained his enemy for the rest of his days. The reason I want to finish on that tonight is it's so terribly sad when someone keeps digging a hole. Have you ever seen someone do that? Have you ever seen someone in a bad situation and they just go, no, it's going to be okay, I'll just, I'll just do this. I had a very good friend who had a gambling addiction. That was like, he, he was a bit like Saul. The worst thing that ever happened to my friend is when we were 18, we decided we were going to put our first bet on the tab on the horses for, what's it called? The Melbourne Cup. And we just both put a, I don't know, couple of dollars on the horses or whatever. Well, that's what I thought he'd done. But he put $100 on the horse and I just put a couple of dollars on the horse. Anyway, the worst thing that could have happened to him happened that day. I lost and he won. And he got a lot of money. I can't remember what it was, but it was a lot of money in those days. And so he, he took us all out for dinner. He was splashing cash. He was bragging about it. And I was thinking, oh, yeah, that's just fun. Like, that's the Melbourne Cup next year. Wonder if you'll win again next year. No. You know, the next week, he went to Randwick. And that was the end of him. And we would say to him, as his losses grew and grew and grew, and he lost more and more money gambling, dude, are you all right? But we were too polite to tell him that we thought he was going off the rails. Because, you see, it's so socially acceptable as an 18-year-old to just put some money, just a little flutter. But the problem with it is some people have an addictive personality and he was one of those kind of guys. And he just got addicted to it and addicted to it and he went further and further into it. And it destroyed his life. That's why I don't like gambling very much, because of my friend. But this is what Paul's, uh, Saul's gamble was. He's still thinking, as he's afraid of David, 
that he can remain an enemy of David for the rest of his days and get away with it. He's like a gambler who's lost control. Okay, I didn't hit him with the spear, but I'll try again next week. He chases David into a cave, can't find him. Actually, Saul and David are alone in the cave, even though Saul doesn't know it. And David could have killed him, but David doesn't kill him because he's the anointed one of Israel. But time and time again, Saul tries to kill David and he can't because the Lord is with David. So here's the, here's the thing. If you liked that story of Mercy Adelo, you might want to think about something that you can do in your life to give you something to remember this concept. You might want to think about that. You might want to go to a little jewellery shop and buy yourself a little cross to put around your neck. Or you might want to put a little verse next to your bed from 1 Samuel 18, maybe. Or you might want to get actual Proverbs 9.10 that says the beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord. Other way around, actually. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You might want to have something like that to remind you that the Lord is always with you. And I tell you what, if you come up with something like that painting that Mercia showed me, can you show me what you come up with? Is that all right? Or at least text me or tell me at church if you come up with something. Because what I want to leave you with tonight is a gift. If you fear the Lord, you will fear nothing. Because ultimately you will come to know deep in your heart, no matter what troubles you go through, that the Lord is always with you. Jesus promised that himself. He was explicit. He said, I am not going to leave you as an orphan. I'll send the counsellor the Holy Spirit, to live in your heart. The same Holy Spirit that was with David is with you and I if you're a Christian. And if these things sound magnificent to you tonight and you are not yet a Christian and you would love to grasp this reality with us, the promise of peace that passes all understanding can be yours too. So please come and see me after the service if you'd like to talk about that some more. But also, if you're in the middle of a crisis at the moment and you're really struggling to find that peace and you are finding the waves really scary, and you can't find the rock, talk to someone tonight. They might be able to point it out to you because chances are they're holding on to it too. Amen? One way. Will you please stand with us as we sing?
things Mercia told me was look for the blessings because they're coming and one of the things I thought it might be nice to do tonight is um, after we've had the sermon kids come in by the way you're really welcome to be with us Um, we've just been saying in the sermon tonight um, that sometimes you go through hard times sometimes you go through good times and sometimes you go to school and you don't have a great day sometimes the teachers aren't really easy to get on with or the other kids aren't easy to get on with or you know sometimes all sorts of things can go wrong. But uh, a friend of mine called Mercia used to say, look for the blessings because they're coming. Where are they? And I thought it might be nice tonight just to uh, spend a bit of a moment quietly praying. And uh, if you're with your kids tonight, if your kids come sat with you, you might just want to say one, of the, one or two things that you're thankful for or one, of the, one or two things that you're looking forward to uh, that may be in the future for you as a Christian. So let's just do that now for a couple of minutes. Let's just thank God for the good things he gives us and for the things he's going to give us in the future, particularly the fact that we're going to live with him forever. And if you can't think of anything else tonight, that's a good one to start with. So let's do that now. All right, we're going to pray a prayer for us. We thank you, our Father, that in your love and mercy you gave us your only Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our salvation. 
By this, his offering of himself once and for all time, Jesus made a full and perfect sufficient sacrifice for the sins of the whole world and commanded us to continue in remembrance of his precious death until his coming. Hear us, merciful Father, and grant that we who receive these gifts of your creation, this bread and this wine, according to our Saviour's command, in remembrance of his suffering and death, may be partakers of his body and blood. Amen. What does that mean? What it means is God has given us, Jesus has given us, this really precious symbol that's a physical symbol that we can remember. Jesus broke his body for us. That's His body's like represented by the bit of bread and he shed his blood for us on the cross. That's represented by the grape juice so that when we can't feel like we are close to him, we can hold the symbol in our hands and be tactile, remembering Jesus was here, just as real as this this symbol is Jesus was here and he loves us so what we're going to do now is we're going to hand out all this uh, juice and bread Liam's going to play uh, uh, beautifully behind us the kids are going to distribute let's give the teenagers a bit of round of applause legends if you're at home and you're watching at home you might want to get yourself a little bit of a drink and a bit of bread and join us with this communion this is going to take a little bit of a minute but while you're uh, just resting waiting for this um Yeah, just maybe remember that Jesus knows our suffering. If we're suffering, he knows what that's like as he suffered too. It's a great encouragement to us. So let's just uh, have a time of prayer or a time of quiet. And kids, what this is doing is this is helping us to remember that Jesus loves you, okay? So when you get this juice and this bread, every time you, you have this, we call this the Lord's Supper. You know how you have supper at home or dinner at home? This is the Lord's Supper. And what he's doing is he's saying, I love you, you're important to me. Okay, sound good? Excellent. Do you want to chuck your hand up if you're still waiting for some bread so the bread people can find you? Okay, some bread over there. What about the grape juice? How many people still haven't got grape juice? Okay, cool. If some of you guys can come and bring me and Liam a grape juice and a bit of bread, that'd be rad too. Thank you.
piece of bread had a mind of its own, Abby. How are we going? Does anybody need bread or wine? Oh, well, it's not wine, it's... I'm a good Anglican from way back. Back in the day we used to have wine. It was poured, actually. Thank you, Liam, that was lovely. Well, let's all um, remember our Lord Jesus, our rock. No matter how you're feeling tonight, whether you're washed around in the storm or you're having a great day, he's always there, right there with you. So make sure you keep holding on to him. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take it, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the meal, Jesus took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from this, all of you. This is the blood of the new covenant which was poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So come, let us eat and drink in remembrance that Christ died for us. And let's feed on him in our hearts by faith with thanksgiving. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was given for you, preserve your body and soul to everlasting life. Take then, eat this in remembrance that Christ died for you, and feed on him in your heart by faith with thanksgiving. And the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was shed for you, preserve your body and soul to everlasting life. Drink this in remembrance that Christ's blood was shed for you, and be thankful. Let us pray. If you know the Lord's Prayer, feel free to pray out loud with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Lord Jesus, send us out in the power of your spirit to live and work to your praise and glory. Amen. Now, Quinn, did you want to say anything finish, or do you want me just to finish up? I think that's pretty easy to do. Well, we've had a lovely time um, sitting around hearing God's word and talking to him and praising him. And we're about to have dinner. If you'd like to give to the Worker Soul Revival, um, this little box as you go out, I do encourage you to do that because uh, that's, that's a really good way of also um, showing your uh, love and service to Lord Jesus. Um, there's plenty of ways of doing that, but that's one way of doing it. And we're going to finish now with grace. Just before we do, we don't have to ask the families to go get the kids because guess what? We're all together today. How good's that? How did you go with that, kids? Did you enjoy communion? The Lord's Supper? Yeah? Mad? Excellent. Good. Well, let's thank God for the food and then let's go and keep hanging out. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time we've had together and we're really excited to be together as a family that you've brought together in your name with you as the, our Heavenly Father. I pray, Heavenly Father, you'd protect us each day of our life in the, when, the, when the sun's up and when the sun's down. In the, in the hard times and the good times, may you remind us that you're always with us through your Holy Spirit, that you are our rock and that our future is brighter than our past. Thank you for this food we're about to enjoy and we pray you bless it to our bodies. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>